I'm going to start with something that has annoyed a lot of people this week. So first off, just here is a question being asked of Ashley Bloomfield on Saturday. In repeated failures of the testing system under your leadership, shouldn't you take some responsibility for what's happening and offer your resignation? Well, uh, I think the Minister's traversed this very well. I don't think there has been um, uh, failures of our testing system in this country. Now, that was a News Hub journalist, not Michael Mora, but a News Hub journalist asking a question on behalf of Michael Mora at Saturday's 1pm press conference. And so that was, a, that was a question that was sent in by Michael Mora, and he actually was a subject of a reasonably extensive backlash on social media in particular for that query. And he was called a, a public health threat to us all. Others said that Mora himself should resign for his own failure to do his job. And one of the strongest threads of criticism was that it's not for Mora to call on public officials to resign or hold them to account. Journalists, the critics said, are meant to just report the facts. And now there might be some truth to the accusation that journalists can sometimes get too focused on scalps. And uh, scalps is just, I guess, a colloquial term for just going after resignations and trying to get people sacked over failings. But I, I don't think that's what really is happening in, in this case, because Mora's reporting in this press conference and in the last is, is actually something that has gone on for five months. He's done five months of reporting on failures of the Ministry of Health. So uh, I can go into a few of them, but uh, if you start off, there's the failures uh, to provide adequate PPE to healthcare facilities and uh, to other other care facilities. In April and May, he was reporting on that. He was reporting on problems with the flu vaccine distribution to GPs and other places. He actually was one of the journalists who, in June, this was quite a big scandal, you might remember, was reporting about uh, the Ministry of Health failures to test people on day three and day 12 of their stay in managed isolation and quarantine facilities. He was talking about concerning practices and the granting of compassionate leave. And this is just the latest thing that he is reporting on here. So he is now reporting on another failure to adequately test people by the Ministry of Health, this time amongst border staff and quarantine staff. So it's not just one of these things where it's just one thing and it's a, and it's a journalist going for a scalp. It's actually a long-running uh, series of events that have taken place here. And in Mora's eyes, the through line. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking for a very long time, Karen, but... <laughs> In Mora's eyes, the, the through line in each of these slip-ups has been the dissonance between the reassurances Bloomfield and the others have given to both the public and to the government uh, and the Ministry of Health's actual practices. Yeah, I'm interested in how he uh, approached um, Bloomfield to say that this is a question on behalf of, a, of Michael Mora, the journalist who did it. How do you do that in a press conference? <laughs> Oh, no. So, I mean, this is actually one of the features of these press conferences that people don't necessarily understand. And it actually gets journalists a lot of flack some of the time. But they're asking, like, for instance, um, Tover O'Brien might ask a question and and it might not be her own question. She'll be asking questions on behalf of lots of different people around the country that can't be in Wellington or at these press conferences. It's one of the failings, actually, of only doing this sort of government by 1pm press conference is, is that the actual access all comes at this one concentrated point and every journalist has to get in their questions. And so the people that are actually at that press conference are asking questions on behalf of all the organisations, reporters around the country.
Aha, uh-huh, thank you. Question answered. And RNZ's yeah. Joe Moyer was there as well? Yeah, she was. Morrill wasn't alone. He he was the one that got a lot of the backlash. That's because he called, he asked Ashley Bloomfield whether he should resign. But actually this uh, talk about the Ministry of Health's lack of accountability and actual lack of follow-through on some of the instructions that have been given to it was echoed by a lot of the other journalists there. So this is RNZ's Joe Moyer uh, asking the Ministry, oh, the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, and Health Minister Chris Hipkins a similarly tough series of questions, which ended in a query as well on whether jobs will be cut. And with that, happy to take your questions. Um, You've confirmed that only 60% of those uh, Jetpark staff were tested when you were under the impression that all of them were getting tested. This is the exact same situation that Dr Bloomfield dealt with when he gave an instruction for day three and day 12 testing to take place and managed isolation. It didn't happen. Do you know who is either failing to pass on the message or is failing to actually do what has been instructed and are they going to lose their jobs? So that's Joe Moyer interrogating Ashley Bloomfield on who's to blame for the Ministry of Health failing to keep successive promises in both June and now again in August on COVID-19 testing. And that's of the people staying at managed isolation and the and the staff working at managed isolation. So Moyer is obviously there looking for someone to be held to account. It's this drive for accountability. I think that your last interview he was talking about it as well, this media drive for accountability. And and she summed up her concerns in a tweet the following day. And she said she was genuinely baffled that Ardern and Chris Hipkins, Jacinda Ardern and Chris Hipkins, weren't looking to investigate who was responsible for the ministry's failures to test everyone that it said it was going to test. And she said, perhaps it will take a third testing failure before accountability kicks in. Now, these journalists, they make a pretty convincing case that there should be some accountability here. And the question is, why are these, why are they provoking such an angry backlash? These are deeply, in many sectors of society, quite unpopular calls uh, for accountability it, and for some... I think Dr. Dr. Muller really answered that question. It's because it's a rolling phase of a story and the timing just can't be right. It, you know, the, the accountability phase is going to keep drop, dropping in uh, whilst there are new things happening. So the, the people want to hear about their jobs and... and and what's happening, and, and, and they want to, they're not in a headspace, you're saying, for, for this accountability. Yeah, but for I the think media, that's what he was getting at, yeah. Yeah, and, and I can understand that. I can understand, it's, it's a curious question in this case, though. I think that something odd is going on here that's a little bit maybe different to what's happening in Australia, although it has some of the same strands. I don't think that there's a lack of public appetite for accountability. We have David Clark recently resigning to great acclaim for his failures, his bike ride, his beach trip. And we also, I mean, this is not related to COVID-19, but there are other public service bosses that have resigned recently over failures. We've had Liz McPherson at StatsNZ, uh, Revenge Durham at uh, Watercare resigned over Auckland's water crisis. Uh, Liz McPherson resigned over the botched census. And part of this, part of the backlash maybe, could be because there's an election coming up and people are being partisan and they want to protect their team from criticism. That might be part of it. But I think 
Uh, or there's also this dissatisfaction in general with the press gallery and their questions, and I'm not saying that they've all been perfect and every question has been wonderful during this entire lockdown period from March and now again. But I think the, uh, the, the thing that's in play here, and this is something I spoke to Michael Morrow about earlier today, and he's, he sees it as almost hero worship of Ashley Bloomfield. And because he's been in front of us so many times since March, and he's handled these 1pm press conferences with such great aplomb and professionalism that people now see journalists criticising him as almost hassling or criticising or being cruel to someone that they really like. There's Ashley Bloomfield tea towels, there's an effigy of him as an angel in, an, in a Wellington shop window, there's a Morrinsville woman that has a huge tattoo of him on her calf muscle, and so we see Mora, when he asks these questions, he feels like he is betraying the team of five million, and that people see him as betraying this team of five million, but he actually sees it as his duty to the team of five million to ask these questions and try and improve the health response and hold people to account so that things change. And so this is him actually talking about that to Sean Plunkett on Magic Talk this afternoon. A lot of these things just don't add up, and I'm not sure why or whether the Director General is perhaps not getting the right advice, but I absolutely stand by asking these questions. That's our job. We're here to hold those in power to account, and where there is failings, there must be accountability and there must be improvements. And at the moment, the Director General is saying that there hasn't been a failure in this border testing. Yeah, how, is right. that, you, how is that possible? There you was can't a policy. solve a problem until you admit you've got one. Abs- hey? Absolutely. That's Michael Morris speaking to Sean Plunkett. His message there may seem pretty harsh, and many people do see Ashley Bloomfield as having done a really difficult job in pretty unprecedented circumstances, that's fair. His daily briefings during New Zealand's path to COVID elimination have made him something almost like a national hero. But Michael Morris noted this to me earlier today. He's still a highly paid public servant, and his successes or failures have enormous impact on millions of New Zealanders and however he's handled these 1pm press conferences, Mora now sees these series of trip-ups dating back five months, significant failures at the border, significant failures on or significant discrepancies on what's been said about testing and what's actually being done. And he sees that as a highly, highly uh, impactful series of failures, one that actually at the current at the current time, unlocked down in Auckland, is costing uh, millions and millions of dollars, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. So, as Morris says, it's in all of our interest that Bloomfield and his ministry's health response is as robust as possible. And if the last few months have shown anything, it's that that health response can be improved by a little bit of scrutiny. Okay, and finally, a curious obit for a Nazi SS officer. I was so surprised by this story that this man lived in New Zealand. Yeah, it's it's really weird. So this is a slightly uh, less praiseworthy story. Uh, on Sunday, stuff carried um, a, a profile. They, the, I, I spoke to the editor of the Christchurch Press today. She didn't want to call it an obituary, but it reads like an obituary. It's a story about Willie Huber, who recently died, aged 97, and Geraldine. And the photo accompanying the story has Huber grinning with a pair of skis slung over his shoulder, and he's hailed as one of the founding fathers of the Mount Hutt ski field. He's a skiing pioneer who has a run named after him on, on Mount Hutt. But between all of this praise for Huber's skiing achievements, there's a lot darker strand 
uh, about his history, a, a, a very troubling fact about his history. Uh, and it's mentioned in the story, it's mentioned in the headline, but uh, he, he, it turns out he is a member, he was a member of the Nazi uh, SS in World War II. So he fought, it wasn't just, this wasn't a, a dalliance, this wasn't a small, he wasn't conscripted, it wasn't like a Pope Benedict-style uh, membership of Hitler Youth, or, uh, that's bad enough, but he actually volunteered for the SS and fought on the Eastern Front and in Germany, and he was awarded an Iron Cross for his bravery in battle, and that was before he, uh, at the end of the war, he was held as a prisoner by the Americans for 16 months, and after that, in 1953, he immigrated to New Zealand, where he became this beloved skiing uh, pioneer. <laughs> and so, the, the, this, this has been highly criticised that, that that maybe this that it's a very uncomfortable situation where you've got this praise for his work as a ski field uh, uh, founder, alongside this far more consequential and very dark fact about his life that he was actually a member of the SS, which was hailed uh, as one of the which was known as one of the for its fanatical devotion to Hitler and to the Nazi party. And he was living in New Zealand and seems to have really escaped scrutiny for what his past actually was for 65 years until his death this year. That's astonishing. Hayden, thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you. And go check out that story. Um, I want to do a shout out for one other story. RNZ's Veronica Schmidt actually published a story today about her being filmed in the changing rooms of Kmart and it's a shocking story it'll make you very angry at Kmart and the, do- and the justice system but it's beautifully written and it's on RNZ.